This podcast may contain some strong language not suitable for all ages. The metaphor of Gloy and Garner saying, I can't breathe, in the moments of life being taken out of their body is a desperate plea to these police to say, I get we're in a country that's rooted in 400 years of racism and slavery and dissension amongst black and white people. But right here, right now, in this moment, you have your knee on my neck. And as a human being, I can't breathe. So there has to be another way for us to resolve this matter and figure out a solution that doesn't end with my life expiring. This week on The Godfather of Hockey, we have Rob Ford, a filmmaker who in recent years has worked with the likes of LeBron James and Steph Curry. Rob grew up in LA, South Central to be specific. He is a proud graduate of Crenshaw High School and Howard University. Most recently, Rob has worked on politically oriented documentaries such as Shut Up and Dribble and Uncensored. And we were fortunate to have him as part of our production team on the Canons. As you will hear on this podcast, Rob wants to be recognized as a human being first, a proud father to a beautiful 16-year-old daughter second, and a filmmaker aimed at social change. He's the godfather of hockey in DC. The Godfather. If I don't do me, that's the death in me. The death in me. Calm through the storm, watch the enemy. The enemy. Check the score, I came back from a deficit. A deficit. Working on my game, so it's accurate. So right off the bat, Rob has had an unbelievable couple of years. Um, aside from joining our team, which is a huge accomplishment in itself. No, but uh, but Rob has... Didn't we beg him? We yeah, we begged him. We begged him. We kissed his feet. But Rob has had an extraordinary 12 months in general. Um, he is now an Emmy-nominated uh, director and producer for HBO's The Cost of Winning, a number of very high-profile documentaries, including uh, Shut Up and Dribble, which was produced by uh, LeBron James's company as well, and uh, as well as the Facebook series with Steph Curry. Rob's has been having an unbelievable year, and he's one of these individuals that you're going to, if you don't know of him now, you're going to know of him very soon. And, and you won't be confusing him with the former defunct dead mayor from Toronto. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> never, never. But, but I want to kind of start from the beginning with you because I, I, you know, personally, actually, I don't know your whole history of how you got into the business. Um, you know, you don't need to walk us through every moment of every detail, but maybe kind of share with us how you got into the business, uh, your personal story, and then maybe little bit of, of how, what drew you into this story and, and becoming part of this project? Yeah, so I guess to answer your first question about like where I come from and how I guess I got into the business or interested in the business. So I'm from Los Angeles, California, born and raised. I'm from an area of LA that has been given the title of South Central, which is just a geographic intersection. It's not even a <laughs> real place. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's a place when you want to have a certain conversation about a certain breed of people, unfortunately. I'm a graduate of Crenshaw High School. And ironically, like our previously aforementioned political friend, like the first thing I thought I wanted to do when it came to like career aspirations was to be a political figure, particularly the president of the United States, only because where I grew up, you know, shit was hard for Black folks like myself and folks in the community. And so I just wanted to create change and try and help, you know, level the playing field. And what happened was, 
you know, as a kid, when you don't know shit, you think, oh, the president is the most powerful person with respect to influence and change. So I thought I should be that person. That's, that's how I can get the job done. And that's kind of the path I was on until about the 11th grade, I go to a summer pre-college program at Howard University where I lived on campus for six weeks, took class, I lived in the dorm and basically fell in love with, with the Mecca, as we call it, Howard University, which is where I ended up going for college and graduating. And so this is all like black 16, 17 year old kids, high school age. We're all like in a circle on the first day for orientation. And it's like the classic cliche, everybody stand up and say their name and where they're from and what high school they went to, all this kind of shit. So going around the circle gets to me, I'm like Rob Ford, LA, you know, Crenshaw High School. And I see all these kids, you know, look, and this is like <laughs> 90, shit, when I got high school, I got high school 98. So this is probably like 97, you know? So this is like three years after Boys in the Hood, maybe two years after Men's Society, this is like the heyday of Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Tupac. So like all that shit is like on fire. You know, it's just looking like fish grease right now, culturally and the zygots of all these, these kids. And then I'm physically like an offspring of that in real life manifestation. And most of these kids have never been to the place where this music is coming from and these movies and these TV shows are coming from. So, so they're fascinated. And, and for me, it was confusing. And I was kind of like, you know, a little bewildered because it's like, that would be the reaction I would expect from white people, but not black people, especially black people of my age, you know, and, and of my sort of guild as far as like music interests and film interests and cultural, you know, sort of touchstones. I was just like, wait, what? And so it was educational for me, which was largely in part what the Howard experience was about for me to even learn like, yo, all black people are not the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even in this circle of 15, <laughs> they're not the same. But even more so it was like, people really believe the shit they see on TV, especially if they don't have the means and the resources to go get a firsthand account to counter that. And then I was like, oh, this shit is way more powerful than the president. Because everybody know politicians are liars and they don't really believe them from the jump. So, you know, and also like the power of a politician is limited. You're just a face and a figurehead. You still have so many checks and balances that you have to sway to, to implement change. So I was just like, yo, fucking Spielberg, Singleton, you know, Scorsese, Spike Lee. These people are way more powerful than any political figure because they can actually change people's minds about what they believe and how they feel and how they interact. And I was just like, yo, I need to be doing that shit, you know, like whatever that looks like. And so that was the moment where I just sort of pivoted to want to get more into media and film and television and very, very simple, basic interests, like just to positively portray african-americans on screen like that was the premise that was the the motivation and still is to this day and so boom you know i go to school for broadcast journalism you know howard didn't have the most like robust film program so i, I did journalism which got me into like writing and story and just understanding you know outlining and how to just just navigate the world of of, of setup conflict resolve in a very basic sense i wrote a lot for the school paper 
And then, you know, almost went the journalistic route from a written print perspective. Thank God I didn't do that because those things don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I you know, I, I ended up doing a short film towards the end of my collegiate career, which was an adaptation of Hitchcock's Rear Window. My film was called Dorm Window. <laughs> Same concept, the sort of college cabin. So I wrote it, shot it, directed it. It's the first thing I ever did. Came out pretty well. And I took that project and I went to this program at the Cannes Film Festival to sort of like thrust myself into the film industry. And it kind of just kicked off from there. You know, it took a while to find my way. I did a lot of terrible jobs, shitty jobs, temp agencies, legal firms, you know, just before I can really get into the TV and film space. Did a couple of movies, The Good Shepherd with Robert De Niro. Did a Lindsay Lohan movie called um, Georgia Rule. Um, then I did a bunch of shitty reality TV because there was a big writer strike. So that's where all the jobs were. And then I kind of fell into documentaries thereafter. And that's where the sweet spot was for me creatively. Um, you know, I still love scripted film as a consumer, but I enjoy the process of making documentaries because it's just uber creative and, and very, you know, hands on with respect to, to my involvement. And the canons in particular lands in that same space. And I was interested in it because of the story I just told you. It was Black people, particularly from the same space as me, just in a different part of the country, but who were doing things in a positive light, in a light that you wouldn't necessarily assume or expect to be normal, but in a way that's very real and authentic and heartwarming. And so for me, that was the, the attraction, that was the interest, that was the motivation. It was set in DC, I went to Howard, so I'm very familiar with that space. You know, when I was in school, I did a work study program at a church where I would help elementary schools, kids from the Northwest DC area with like tutoring. And I would see kids that are like the kids in the canons you know, who might have been in like rough environments, but they were like really good kids and they just needed help or guidance or support. So to see what Coach Neil was doing was just like, yo, people need to see this. They need to hear it. They need to know about it. And any and everything I can do to help bring uh, a light and attention to the story, I'm all in. What made you go all the way across the country to the nation's capital? That really kind of interests me. Not a lot of people leave sunny LA for... Well, I guess DC is not that cold, but it's not not LA. It's, it was cold as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come to Toronto in the winter then, brother. Yeah. Bro, my first time ever in life in snow was in <clears throat> DC. And I did all the fucking snow angel and just like had it in my hands and just freaking out. It was so trippy. <laughs> but yeah, yo, like most people, you're right, from California, especially black folks, are are not leaving. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate, especially for HBCUs, because it's such a rich cultural experience. But um, I was fortunate because my high school history teacher was alumni of Howard University, uh, Mrs. Florence Avian. We're still tight to this day. And prior to her, I hated history because primarily, you know, in our country, uh, history is, is, is very, you know, whitewashed and Eurocentric as it relates to American history. So as a Black person, when you're in school, you're just like, there's no place for me in the story of American history. I don't see myself. So it's very much like, mm-hmm. fuck that shit. I'm not paying attention. You know, that, that was kind of the vibe for me. But because Mrs. Avian had went to Howard, 
she got a very robust robust education in African-American history. Then she went to Columbia and did an Ivy League master's. So she understood, you know, the importance of history from a very nuanced perspective. But she's also from South Central, went to Crenshaw High School. Oh, wow. So it was her mission to come back and make sure these young black kids saw themselves and understood themselves and, and felt elevated with respect to like, no, you belong. And people like you have made major contributions to this country beyond slavery, which is still why the country is what it is and how it got to be what it is, fucking free labor. You know, like that head start, we still playing with house money off the strength of that. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's actual more things that have happened and you need to know, and, and she just stressed like the importance of history. If you don't understand it, you can be victim to it because it will repeat itself. Um, and all of her tests were written. You know, we never had multiple choice, never had fill in the blank. It was like, you have to write. And it was, it was so funny. It was like, this was the beginning of, of, of my sort of creative writing exploration because we always had to have an intro, body, and conclusion. I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was over 20 years ago. And that's a movie, right? Act one, act two, act three, set up, conflict, resolution. And that's how we had to tell the story of history and answer questions and navigate her test. And at first I hated it, because again, I wasn't used to writing, but she would give very detailed notes on the writing. And it was like, we were having a conversation about my perspectives on history by way of my writing. And I started to kind of get adulation from her feedback of like, this was a great point and well-worded and well-written. And I like how you intersected these thoughts and da, 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 da. And I was like, yo, this writing shit is kind of cool. You know what I mean? And it just kind of grew from there. And so she started pounding in my head, like, dude, you gotta get the fuck out of LA. You gotta go to Howard. It will fucking blow your mind away. You'll become a man. You'll understand what it means to be black in America. You'll find your wife, like all the things in life, you know, go, 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 go see some different shit. And so I, I was at first just kind of in shock because I'm just like, yo, that shit's far. It's cold. I don't know what to expect. None of my friends are trying to go there. So I was in a program called Upward Bound. Uh, which is like the poor people's version of uh, Jack and Jill, if you've heard of Jack and Jill. Um, these are like American societal, you know, programs that kids go to for extracurricular academics. And, um, but Upper Bound is government subsidized. And so I was in that and they were kind enough to give me a scholarship to go to this Howard pre-college program that I was telling you about earlier, because it cost about like five, six grand and they paid for it. And that was like when I got a chance to sample the Howard experience before making the full commit. And by the time I came back after those six weeks, I mean, shit, I didn't want to leave, you know, to go back to finish the 12th grade at Crenshaw. And when I came back, it was like, physically I was present at Crenshaw. Mentally, I was already at Howard. I had Howard t-shirts and hats and jackets. Like, <laughs> I was fucking gone, you know, like I can't get out of here soon enough. And because I did that program, it helped, you know, my application for the university and I got in. And I went and she was right, you know, like it delivered on all the things with the exception of my wife. But I, got, I was going to say, did you beat your wife? I didn't get a wife, but I got a daughter, you know, I had a kid. <laughs> so, you know, we yeah. still got a for life partner, you know, in that regard. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was her is, is the answer to your question. Most of my friends did Cal State and UCs, which are great schools. You get a discount as a California resident. It's a phenomenal education. But they are what we at the HBCUs call white schools, 
And, you know, it's a very different experience where you're more of a number. You're trying to find the other black person and create community in that way. Whereas if you go to Howard, you know, it's, it's hard to explain the experience, but I, I will give Beyonce credit for her most recent, um, you know, piece uh, called Homecoming. She captured and embodied the feeling of the richness and the esteem and the confidence and the humanity of what it feels like to go to an HBCU, particularly Howard, in my experience. But you get that every day for four years where you just feel like I'm loved, I'm accepted, I am intellectual, you know, I'm complex, I'm diverse, uh, and it's incubated, you know, at this institution. I mean, here's what I think, man. I say this everywhere I go in all the rooms I'm at. Like, to grow up Black in America, I feel like there needs to be two fundamental prerequisites. Like, if I had limitless amounts of money and I could just fund this outright without, you know, it being an issue, I would offer every Black person who grows up in America free mental health care because you, you for sure need that shit growing up in this country and an all expense pay education to an HBCU of your choice. I think if you get those two as early as possible in your life, maybe, just maybe, you have a chance of surviving this country. But without it, good luck, God bless, because this place is just so fucked up for black folk. Um, I feel like going there for four years, it created this foundation of awareness, of knowledge of self, of confidence, of, of my abilities and what I could do to go out in the world that I'm still learning to this day, you know, how impactful it was and how much it resonates. So I made a lot of decisions in my life that have been great and paid dividend. I don't know if any are more grand and important than that one, because it's the bedrock for a lot that comes. So I can't speak enough about that decision. It's Avian influencing me to go. I love the story about your roots you know, you feeling that history was whitewashed, history wasn't made for you. It's been sort of one dimensional, you know, having this influential teacher going to Howard and kind of pivoting back to the canons. You know, when me and AJ started this journey, we really tried to put people of color at the forefront of this project to sell the project yourself, Kwame Mason. You know, we didn't get the money from said networks up front for production. So, you know, me and AJ had to kind of take the reins to do it. But I can say that, you know, as a producer, there's no way that we would have been able to tell this story without you. And that's because, you know, we needed that voice. We needed that voice to be embedded into the film. And when audiences watch this, okay, like maybe you weren't holding the camera, but there was a lot of decisions that were made that, you know, you had your fingerprints on, especially throughout, you know, our post-production phase that really highly influential how this story was told. And I think it just goes exactly with what you just said is like history has been told by white people and in film and television, black people's stories have been told by white people. And I think that was just really important for me, especially to, to bring you aboard to, to counter that. Right. Mm -hmm. And just, just one random reference I can remember was, you know, I, we were putting some text at the, at the later stages of our film to highlight some of the, the issues in America, whether it's healthcare or education. And I wanted to add a bit of text on police brutality. And, you know, I was just so confident. I ran it by AJ's. AJ's like, yeah, that's cool. And we were both really confident in it. And then I ran it by you and you're like, 
no <laughs> you're like this is pandering we've you know let the images speak for themselves like tell the audience something that they don't know already and that's one small example from many but i think that one particularly highlights how it's important to have diversity in in a committee especially when you are telling a story about you know african-american culture and you know, especially because, as AJ mentioned, this is this is the demographic that we that we want to cater to. This is the people that we're telling the story about right. and to. So just hearing that and actually knowing where you came from and your roots in storytelling and and wanting to hear a different version of history, and it just seems like you went on a mission in life to start making it a mission to create your own stories and to tell those perspectives from you know, the actual mouths and faces of people of color. Thousand percent. Yeah, man. Shit, still, still doing it now as we speak, you know, with this, this Bubba Wallace situation, uh, you know, person of color and sport who stood up and, you know, got the fucking Confederate flag banned from NASCAR. I mean, like, I'm honored to tell that. We literally historic and history making. You know, got some other shit coming up, as Steve, as you're aware, with uh, we get a chance to talk, but like the, the Minnesota football, George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, that whole thing is seemingly in, in motion. Obviously, LeBron was shut up and dribble. It's like athletes being politically outspoken and taking a stand. I guess that's kind of unintentionally or maybe intentionally. I don't know a niche I've landed in of like and I think the Cannons is very much in that same vein of like sports stories that are sports, you know, on the surface as the backdrop, but it's really political, social, socio-political commentary about the American experience or, you know, people in real life scenarios that are dealing with very humanistic challenges and sports is sort of the, the commonality of intersection that pulls people in and makes it relatable, but it's really character driven and character rich uh, when you get into the stories. And I think, you know, again, as far as attraction to the canons, like on paper, I saw that from inception. And then as the footage started coming in and, you know, edit started happening, it manifested and delivered in the stuff that was captured, you know, with the images and the footage all the way, you know, through to completion of the film, obviously Robert and Ray Vaughn, I, I think are fascinating. Their moms are incredible characters, Neil, and, you know, these are real people all dealing with very unique scenarios, um, but sports is the common thread that binds them. And I really love stories like that. It's like so fun to tell those stories and, and cool. And, you know, people watch that shit because the sports is the candy, you know, oh, it's football or it's, but then there's something else, you know, and then you get that real story to change people's minds. It's that whole thing going back to, when I was in that circle and I talked about boys in the hood, that was the part I forgot to mention that fucked me up, my bad. So I say South Central and then all these kids come up to me after I say South Central or LA Crenshaw High School and they're like, can you crip walk? Are you in a gang? Have you ever met Snoop Dogg? You right. know, is boys in the hood really like that? You know what I mean? And the crazy part was just like, I just was like, this is literally cause of the shit they saw on TV and as just, you know, what if they saw the cannons and said, you know, they would be like, oh man, Coach Neal was a legend. He's a hero. When I go to DC, I want my kid to be a part of this hockey. You know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. it could be the same thing, but just in a different light if it's done well and the story is rich. 
but you're just not getting enough of that to counter the, the bullshit or to sway people's opinion about certain groups and demographics. And so, yeah, that's been my mission, man. It's like, we're going to always have the bullshit because it's like, that's what this country perpetuates from a racist stereotypical perspective about what they think about certain sectors of people. You know, that was kind of my last question because we're kind of running out of time. Was there ever any doubt in your mind that Steve and I should not be doing this story and maybe it should be someone, you know, with a different skin color that is not Caucasian? I think the answer is baked into the fact that I didn't think about it, which tells you it wasn't an issue because if I had had a red flag, I, I would have asked myself like, yo, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Are you about to go down with the Titanic? You know what I mean? Because these guys are fucking making some crazy shit. Nah, man, it's like, you know, I, I, I think it's preference for black people to tell black stories, but inversely, it's like, I wouldn't feel like I would want somebody to tell me I can't tell the Rob Ford mayor crackhead story because I'm a black dude. It's like, I'm a storyteller. So we can help you. I'm, we can help you with that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man. I mean, you know, I, I obviously I met Steve first and I felt like he was genuine and he was sincere and he was trustworthy. Same thing with you, AJ. So on a human level, that's where it started. It didn't feel exploitive. It didn't feel like a spectacle to be sensationalized, like, oh, look at these poor black kids. Let's put a count, you know what I mean? And Poverty I think porn. there are like inherent cultural blind spots. For example, the story you told earlier about the statistics and me feeling like it was pandering. And honestly, those are things where I'm like, no, these are not the wrong guys to do it. These are the right guys to do it. And now that I get to be a part of it, I could help make sure those things have the right lens, the right tone, the right perspective. And we can do it together. But my thing is like, yo, you guys found the story, you built the relationships, you got the investment from the community. So I really feel I have zero position to question that. Like if these people trust you and they're gonna give you the story, then I gotta trust them that they're making the right decision as well. Because I feel like they would have had a bullshit, you know, test and the meter would have rang. And when they sniffed out, like, I don't know these guys, you know, but when I started to see the footage, I'm like, oh, these people are not withholding, you know, they're not, uh, being some altered version because I, I could see that a lot in scenarios like this where they'll let you in but they don't really let you in you know um, and I was like I mean it was fun. like I would just say this like I, I watched it and was like not that I couldn't have gotten different stuff maybe I could have just because I'm a black person and there is some inherent trust in that um, but not because of lack of skill or ability you know on you all's part i'm watching it and i'm like yeah i would have asked that i would have you know went after that storyline like they you guys were getting all the things that were necessary so now i can't say i really questioned it or felt like there was an issue and from day one as steve mentioned the initial conversation was like we want you to basically like help be a, a checks and balances to all of those things like we want to be culturally sensitive we want to make sure the things that we don't see here or or realize you know that can they can be brought to our attention and let's have a conversation about them you know not just to like check a box and yeah we have diversity and inclusion but fuck what they really think <laughs> you know what i mean right. it wasn't like that at all and so yeah man that's a great question i, I really respect and appreciate you asking that 
you know, the reason why we wanted to do these projects isn't just for, you know, glamour and, and fame and fortune or whatever. <laughs> Certainly making a documentary certainly, is not. Certainly not. <laughs> but, I'm, but the point is, I'm saying is that, you know, at least for me, I'm driven to work that is like going to move the needle that people can watch. Maybe it's sort of a Brechtian sort of element there, but really it's, you hope that people watch and learn and take away something from it. And maybe it changes their lives in, in some small or, or, or large way depending on what it is, right? So um, hopefully large, hopefully like hopefully in a, a small, well, it's hopefully it's a small way, but it moves a large amount of people, which then becomes, a yes, absolutely. right? Like, I think that's the biggest part is that, you know, we're all not going to fucking jump and, and change the world individually, but together we can. I'm fortunately at a point in my life, and I feel like you guys as well too, where it's like, I have options when it comes to work. And I'm really at a place where like, I'm only choosing to be involved in making shit that I would want to watch. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if I'm excited by it on, on a sense of like, yo, I can't wait till that comes out so I can watch it, I want to see it. But I'm at the front end of that conversation to be able to help make it, then fucking sign me up. And that's how I felt about the cannons. I'm like, this shit needs to happen. I want to see it. I'm fascinated by the concept. So of course I want to be involved in bringing it to life and trying to get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible. So that's where it's at. And, and I agree with the, the comment about doing that through art, you know, making shit that has something to say, that's going to move the needle, that's going to punch people in the mouth and have them mm -hmm. having a new perspective on what they thought they understood to be a certain situation or a group of people or a particular sport. You know, I, look, I'm a fucking black dude from South Central who's involved with a hockey project and now a NASCAR project. So <laughs> I think my black card is in fucking question right now. Or the fact, or the fact that I think the black card is actually being re-evolved, right? Like I think that's the beauty go. of it. That part. Uh, yeah. Is that the black card's not so easily definable. And yeah, that's we're, right. we're not in four spaces as human beings, which is yeah. what this film is portraying, which is what it should sure. be. Because in reality, yeah. that's what America is. That's not what it is when you turn on TV most of the time. But, you know, when you're living it, especially a Black person, it's like, we're just people like everybody else. And we want to be seen as such and portrayed as such. And it's like, the whole Black Lives Matter, the whole I can't breathe, like, and we were just talking about this in, in, in the Bubba Project. It's like, the, 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 the metaphor of, of Floyd and Garner saying I can't breathe in the in the moments of life being taken out of their body is a desperate plea to these police to say I get we're in a country that's rooted in 400 years of racism and slavery and dissension amongst black and white people but right here right now in this moment you have your knee on my neck and as a human being I can't breathe so there has to be another way for us to resolve this matter and figure out a solution that doesn't end with my life expiring. So please look at me as a human being. Please reevaluate the form of justice you're using because I am a human being. And the only way I can get you to, to understand that is to go to the most urgent thing that I can say, which is, I can't breathe, you're killing me, I'm a human. Stop and let's figure it out. I'll go to jail. I'll go to court. I can do that as a living being. But if you don't take your knee off my neck, we can't even get to a point 
of amicable resolve because I'm out of here, you know? And, and, and I hope people understand that, you know, amidst all of the sensationalized hysteria of the protests and the march and the t-shirts and what folks are really trying to say is we are human. You know, that's what I can't breathe means. I am a human being just like you, sir. This is not the way, you know? And that's what I want to create. I want to create art that says we are human. You know, we are a part of the experience, the process, this country, and see us as such, treat us as such. And I personally feel like art is the way to do it because people actually believe the shit for the good and bad that they see on TV, see in a movie screen, read on their phone, you know, a lot more than they believe politicians and pastors and parents and all these other factions of the world that are already saying it in a very positive way, but not necessarily getting through, you know, but when it's music or when it's your favorite basketball player or it's a TV show, that shit. Or your favorite you. hockey player. Or your favorite hockey player, or your favorite hockey coach. And there fucking Neil. It's like, go. all right, let me see this shit differently, man. So that's that's why I do it. And I'm gonna continue doing it. And and that's that's my contribution. I look, full disclosure fucking on record like you guys made yourself vulnerable when the george floyd marches kicked off i was at zero marches i was not out there I, you know what i mean because i feel like my life has been a protest and with all due respect that shit was for white people it was like oh now the white people finally get it i don't know why and how it took so long but because of the pandemic no sports no new movies nothing on tv everybody's getting paid unemployment from the government now it's like oh now we're, now we're equal now yeah we're now equal. we're equal we need to yeah. go outside and do something about this fucking tragedy you know of our country and then shit started shaking up so and literally do i'll be driving through la and i would see the marches and i would be hard pressed to find black people you know in the crowds it was just like hmm. fucking fascinating dude rob thank you very much for taking the time love it that's awesome Thanks to Rob Ford for joining us this week. And next week on The Godfather of Hockey, we have NHL executive Kim Davis. Well, it's important because, you know, simply stated, representation counts. And one of the first people I heard say that was Billie Jean King. She said, if you see it, you believe you can be it. On behalf of Steve and I, we would like to thank Michael Mayers for producing each episode of The Godfather of Hockey, John Grigg for his excellent script writing, and last but not least, Brian Young for allowing us to use his beats in this pod and in our film. Please like and subscribe to The Godfather of Hockey wherever you get your podcast. And if you would like to put a face to the voices you hear on here, please follow us on our Instagram at The Cannons Documentary. Pull up on you with a through the storm, watch the enemy, the enemy, check the score, I came back from a deficit, a deficit, working on my game, so it's